Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Joe Allen of Steve Bannon's War Room and author of the just-published must-read book, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Joe. Ravori, very good to be here, man. Thank you very much. By the way, you know, it was great meeting you and hanging out with you, I think, back in April in L.A., right, at the, the was it American Freedom Alliance? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic, man. A fantastic event. And uh, you're taller than you look on online, on TV. Every, everybody, everybody says that when I post those uh, photos, you know, what can you do? I'm a, I'm a Croat, a, a Croatian. And so uh, I'm halfway through your book. It's amazing. Uh, I love it. I highly recommend people uh, buy it. I didn't know it was that massive. Uh, I think 400 pages, the physical, uh, I've got the digital. Uh, and so I, you know, I thought maybe we could start with dopes to infinity, all things and kingdom come, uh, monster magnet, because I noticed in your first chapter, uh, you cite Dave Windorf. I used to be a big monster magnet fan. I actually drove out from Illinois to the middle of nowhere, Muskegon, Michigan, somewhere circa 2001 to watch, uh, Dave and monster magnet perform. I was actually pretty shocked at how low the turnout was. You know, I was standing close enough to rub dave's leather pants and so I, i'm just curious why you included that quote for monster magnet and did you ever uh, rig for them i never rigged for them nor did i get to see them live but uh i've uh, burned you know i've worn grooves into the records so um uh, more uh, deeper grooves yeah i love monster magnet I always have and uh that that i thought that line was an appropriate opener especially after uh, Werner Vinge's line about the end of humanity, that once the age of intelligent machines has begun, that uh, the human era will have ended. Uh, the, you know, the the mushroom clouds in my eyes, uh, was a, good, a nice touch, I think. I think Windorf was feeling it, even if he didn't know exactly what he was feeling, ever. Yeah, he, he was on to, to something. And so, yeah, I, I'll start off with, you know, I got a bunch of quotes I pulled from your book. Uh, you know, here's one quote. This is not some vast global conspiracy. It's just how transhumanism incorporate, incorporated operates in the 21st century. Elites are constantly scrambling to climb over each other. For now, our American technocrats are relatively lenient, at least compared with the total surveillance state they've enabled in China. Out in the wild, we can generally go where we want, say what we want, and arm ourselves with the latest weaponry. But as the pandemic response made obvious, when public unrest threatens power, authorities will use any tool at their disposal to keep the rabble in line. It's the same old song now with synthesizers. And more and more of my guests, uh, on TNT, whether on TNT Radio or on, or on Geopolitics and Empire podcast, are saying that the elites have always wanted control, but now they have the cheap technology that will allow them to exert uh, control to to no end in sight. What are your thoughts on that? That's certainly true. Uh, it, it's very unfortunate how readily people have adopted and even embraced uh, with a lot of joy the devices that basically provide uh, a blanket surveillance state or many uh, multiple surveillance states. And people don't realize, I don't think, you know, the general public don't realize how much power that data in the aggregate provides any given uh, organization that deploys it, be it a corporation, be it a government, be it a corporation, a corporation deploying it on behalf of the government or the government getting backdoor access to that data. The, the ability to read public sentiment en masse and to be able to cultivate one's rhetoric, one's policies, one's responses 
uh, knowing what they know about the the inner workings of the uh, you know the inner lives of their populace or the relative um, uh, groups of people that uh, different governments are, are observing, that power is tremendous. So this notion that, uh, oh, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, it doesn't really matter, or I don't really care if they watch me, it's kind of selfish. It's kind of uh, small-minded. Uh, the, the real power, unless you are a serious threat, uh, the real power isn't getting the information on one individual. The real power is to be able to monitor entire populations simultaneously. And the advances in algorithms, while it's still, to anyone's knowledge who has who's come forward with it, uh, it, the algorithms are still lagging behind the tremendous amount of data that they're able to absorb. Uh, but they still, the algorithms employed by everybody from Facebook to Google, and then, of course, uh, the NSA, uh, more than likely the CIA. I know much less about that. I, I suppose everyone knows much less about that. Um, the The algorithms are good enough to give you a, an an insight that, say, you know, Stalin or Hitler never could have had. Riots across Europe, unprecedented food and energy inflation, increasing military conflict around the globe, and a rising digital police state. The fourth turning is here, and so is the Expat Money Summit, the free online event expatmoneysummit.com is back and will help you navigate these turbulent times. Featuring dozens of renowned experts such as Dr. Ron Paul, international man Doug Casey, Jim Rogers, and Mark Faber, the summit will reveal how you can reclaim your freedom abroad, reduce your tax bill, protect your wealth, obtain multiple citizenships and residencies, become part of a like-minded global community, and more. Founder of expatmoney.com, Mikhail Thorup, will be your guide on this journey to protect yourself from economic collapse, World War III, authoritarian Western regimes, and Klaus Schwab's Great Reset. Simply go to expatmoneysummit.com and enter your email to reserve a free ticket to the event. Do it now. Yeah, I would totally agree with what you said. Um, it's They're only now catching up to the data that they've got. And so... To get into this whole transhumanist uh, thing, um, you know, you, again, you write, quote, um, where is it here? Our, our era's cultural chaos has provided fertile ground for a new religious system to emerge. Transhumanism now carries much the same stigma that Satanism did in decades past. Uh, for that reason, the term is generally avoided by those promoting the concepts, but there's no more fitting label. For the zeitgeist of our age so you know your thoughts on transhumanism uh, and you know it's, it's like a new religion so i mean there's so many tangents we can go from here but uh you know i guess we could start there the most important thing to me is that it's a, a heterodox religion uh, it's not one orthodoxy and in fact many or perhaps even most of the people who i would say are transhumanists by the ideological resonance uh, perhaps would eschew the term. They would never accept it for themselves. For instance, as you read uh, some, some of the books, the pop books that have come out of late that have really alarmed people in regard to transhumanism, uh, the fourth industrial revolution or um, you know anything by Yuval Noah Harari, especially Homo Deus, uh, or, you know, some of the, the, t the scientists working on this, um, uh, Stephen Hsu, uh, who you uh, interviewed, but uh, I, is he a transhumanist? Uh, I, I don't know. I've never heard him actually use the term. And yet uh, all of these different entities are 
bringing what this small clique of intellectuals who self-described as transhumanists, they're taking their ideas and they're, they're, they're putting it on the big stage. That's the only thing that really bothers me about any of this. Uh, if transhumanism had remained some sort of fringe intellectual uh, uh, group or uh, just a, a core of ideas that remained somewhat inconsequential for the rest of the public, it really wouldn't matter. But uh, as this techno fetishism has crept into uh, really the most powerful corporations on earth in Silicon Valley, uh, you see, I mean, it's, it's obvious and occasionally you'll even see references in documents from DARPA and documents from RAND Corporation and uh, in, in documents from uh, governments and other organizations around the world. Like there, there was a flood of white papers between the years 2017 and 2022 from everyone, there was uh, uh, I Human blend or uh, blurring the line between man and machine that was put out by the Royal Society in London. There was the one that's gotten a lot of has uh, uh, gotten around quite a bit. Uh, the uh, Exploring Biodigital Convergence by Canada Policy Horizons, and then of course just tons and tons of stuff from the Rand Corporation uh, on Internet of Bodies, on brain computer interfaces. Uh, on you know the man machine merger idea in warfare, uh, so you see it all over, and then also in China. In China, they have a number of programs working on brain computer interfaces. It's very clear that the culture in China, uh, that there is in the in the tech culture in China, there is at least some subset of those programmers or of those CEOs, if you want to call them that, uh, under the C CCP, if you could really even call them that, but. The, the, this desire to create artificial general intelligence, which any atheist readily will acknowledge, that means creating God on earth. So, yes, I, it really has transhumanism as a concept, even if you strip away the label, uh, transhumanism as a concept has bled out into powerful organizations and also to a large extent, I think, through science fiction and other means, uh, has gained a bit of popular appeal. Uh, Joe Rogan, even if he's skeptical of the concept, uh, he's given a lot of he's given platform to a lot of transhumanists or transhumanist adjacent tech bros. And uh, these ideas are becoming more and more prevalent. And, and you know, as I mentioned, uh, you know, as, from the quote you'd mentioned, it it. For most people with any sense about them, th this should raise serious alarm bells because for all the promises that these technologies will provide you the individual control over the system, I think it's very clear that uh, in most instances, the technologies are in fact working on behalf of the system and those steering the system and that the control is going primarily one way. Uh, and as people become more and more aware of it and are put off up by it, yeah, it it has come to be sort of like Satanism. Uh, it, it's it, it has the same sort of icky feel. And in fact, as uh, as I go into in the uh, sixth and seventh chapters, there are a, kind of a, there's a direct lineage between the uh, fetishization of technology and the valorization of the symbol of Satan. There, these kind of go hand in hand, at least in certain strains of uh, thinking, from Howard Bloom to Anton LaVey himself. Uh, even uh, you, you could say that Nietzsche, while he didn't position the Overman as a satanic figure, I think it's pretty clear that uh, the the you know the Overman dancing on the corpse of God has a certain satanic feel, and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's um, both the popularity of the movement and uh, its influence, uh, either directly or indirectly, over uh, powerful institutions. 
that's what really alarmed me and that's what activated me in the that's why you find me now uh, half insane and completely saturated with their ideas. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, again, there's a lot of great quotes uh, in the book. It's it's wide ranging. You're, you're, you're pulling together so many threads, really big picture, which is, the, you know, the kind of stuff that I like to uh, read and, 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 and do. And you also mentioned in the book, quote, contrary to many right wing critiques, transhumanism is not a purely globalist, leftist or secularist frame of mind. I, I, I think there are a lot of people unwittingly going along, not even uh, aware of uh, what they're particip- participating in fully. Uh, and I've seen you mentioned on interviews recently and, and in the book, um, this, uh, well, Sophia, right? Uh, the goddess, uh, Sophia or, or Aeon and this, this Gnostic strain. And I'd agree with your uh, thesis if you want to tell us a bit about, uh, you know, the, the Gnostic strain and, and, and Sophia and, and, you know, the, the name from the title of the book, Eon. Yeah, uh, the, the title of the book, uh, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity, uh, that both the title and the subtitle have double meanings. The title, Dark Eon, is, of course, Eon is in a period of time, A-E-O-N, the archaic spelling uh, but also uh, an eon, as in the deity-like entities uh, in found in Gnostic texts and in Gnostic forms of Christianity and Judaism. So uh, the inspiration for that is multiple. I, I would hear a lot of people saying that transhumanism is just Gnosticism, and these are people whom I respect. So I, you know, I, it wasn't that I simply dismissed it, but uh, I, I know Gnostics. I have uh, spent a lot of time in the Gnostic texts. Um, when I was an undergrad studying uh, comparative religion, I spent a lot of time on uh, the Gospel of Judas, especially the Gospel of Thomas, um, the Gospel of Mary, uh, on the origin of the world, uh, things like that, the hypostases of the archons, things like this. So um, I, it, it, the, the core idea of Christian Gnosticism uh, was that this material world is evil and somewhat irrelevant and that the spiritual world, the, the sublime, the, the pleroma, the world of light is good, and that the goal of human existence for that elite who's able to grasp the gnosis, the knowledge, uh, is to escape this material prison and uh, go into that eternal world of light. And it was uh, very much counter to traditional Christianity because traditional Christianity, uh, be it uh, Catholicism or the later forms of Orthodoxy and even Protestantism, there is a recognition of the goodness of creation, that uh, even if creation has fallen, there's something inherently good. It comes from the mind of God. It's just been made, uh, it's been sullied by the fall. Whereas in Gnosticism, there's this concept that the world in which we inhabit was created by an ignorant God. Many would say evil, but um, it's more just ignorance. The, it was a blind God, a God who made the universe thinking that he was the only entity in the universe. And so this material world is flawed. We are uh, mortal, and so, and, and we also disobey his rules all the time. Hence, his need to constantly beat us over the head. And uh, the, the, this concept of escaping this flawed material realm of escaping the body into something perfect, into something crystalline, uh, that is uh, also a very strong thread in transhumanism. This idea that 
either by way of the information of what would be a proper genome that wouldn't, uh, a, a person would not get cancer, the person would not have mental retardation, of course, uh, a person might even be able to overcome aging through proper mutations. It's this idea that the body can be overcome by information. And then, of course, when you get to the realm of artificial intelligence, then you get into these ideas of actually uploading one's soul into uh, a, a server. Uh, however ridiculous that may seem, and I think that it's um, becoming less ridiculous for certain reasons I could go into uh, later if you'd like, but uh, not that I believe that that would happen. This notion that artificial intelligence and that the, 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 the proper patterns of information can be uh, escaped into from this flawed body is, in fact, very much Gnostic. And with the robot Sophia, with David Hansen of Hansen Robotics, and to some extent, Ben Gertzel, who created the AI that powers Sophia's brain, so to speak, uh, both of them, uh, especially David Hansen, it's explicitly Gnostic. Uh, coming through the mythos of uh, Philip K. Dick, the, Sophia was named after Sophia in the novel Vallis and uh, Philip K. Dick's novel Vallis. And that, of course, was named after the eon uh, of Gnosticism. And the entire mythos of Vallis is one of Gnosticism. And, uh, of course, the, some of the people working on Sophia's programming explicitly say that this is, uh, in, in a sense, Gnostic, but a technological Gnosticism. So my argument isn't that transhumanism is just Gnosticism. You know, a, a lot of people, I think, there are certain people that see everything as just Gnosticism. Uh, it's more that it's inspired by Gnosticism or reflects it, but it is, a, in fact, a direct inversion. Rather than escaping the material, the goal of transhumanism is to create the, the, the transcendent realm and escape into it. It's not this eternal thing that one approaches inwardly. It's something that one must create, uh, or at least the uh, those geniuses who are able to do so must create, and therefore the humans will escape into it. And it has all the sorts of dark elements, uh, and it has really, I think the central theme of the book, aside from the actual technologies of artificial intelligence, robotics, brain-computer interfaces, all that, that uh, the, the real thrust of the book is this idea that in the absence of traditional religion, uh, in in the once a society or even just individuals have turned themselves over to a science, a purely scientific worldview, there's really nowhere to turn but technology. And so this is, uh, in, in fact, a techno religion, both in the sense that it's an organized uh, ideology which people even have to some extent, uh, you know, sort of communal religious uh, element that, you know, and it's certainly the the idea of a, a higher power that being technology. Um, and and also it just, you know, it slides into the cognitive uh, modes that, that, that traditional religion inhabits. These, these techno fetishistic or transhumanist ideas just, uh, they, they readily fit into that, that, that God sized hole in the heart as it's been put. Yeah, I could almost also, you know, rephrase it as uh, these techno elites saying, you know, we're, God screwed up. We're going to be, ourselves become gods and, and you know, make uh, the Garden of Eden, you know, do it the right way uh, the, this time. And uh, you, you do go on to say, I mean, there's, fa again, fascinating, a lot of uh, material you write, quote, even the average schlub has the magical powers of telepathy, phone calls, skewering spy camps, precognition. Uh, weather apps, telekinesis, Amazon delivery, sex magic, online porn, spirit channeling, chat GPT, and necromancy, chatbots trained on the data of the dead, 
Um, and so, yeah, just absolutely fascinating. And you talk a lot about DARPA. I'm obsessed with DARPA. You mentioned in the book how they they basically created most of these uh, technology technologies. I'm wondering if some of the engineers at DARPA are like doing seances uh, with Satan or something. But you write, quote, at DARPA, we're now closing the loop where man and machine can be integrated together. Transhumanism is the quest to direct evolution and do what thou wilt with biological, cultural, and digital realities. Think of it as multi-level eugenics. In general, neither DARPA directors nor Silicon Valley executives would openly identify as transhumanists or eugenicists, uh, as you mentioned before. But, um, you know, and you also say transhumanism is Satanism with a brain chip. So, you know, what are some of, some of their other goals in, in practical terms with, with what they're trying to do with the brain, uh, computer interface and, and, and all this other stuff? Uh, most, if not all, of the brain-computer interface operations uh, have some basis in DARPA-funded projects. So the uses, for instance, of BlackRock Neurotech's brain-computer interface, uh, one of the most successful cases was the man uh, in uh, his surgery was done at the University of California, San Francisco. Unfortunately, I, he didn't actually have a name. It was like subject or you know patient B. But uh, he, he was locked in from a stroke and they were able to coax words from his brain rather than, you know, typically in these brain computer interface operations where you have a locked in patient. The, the best they can do is kind of get a cursor to move around on screen, something like that. Uh, what he did was concentrate on certain words. They identified the patterns of the words. So he was able to actually communicate with just his brain. Well, that that project was funded by Facebook what uh, was then Facebook, and uh, the the project itself was run by Edward Chang. And Edward Chang is a neuroscientist who's been funded extensively by DARPA. Uh, his One of the many things that he's working on is that brain-computer interface. And uh, while I, I'm not aware of him going so far as to recommend moving to enhancement from that healing phase, from helping someone who's been injured, that is a prevalent idea among many of the people working in that space and certainly some of the top voices. So Elon Musk uh, at you know Neuralink and then Tom Oxley at Synchron, another brain-computer interface company that already has brain chips in people's heads. Both of them openly talk about the that these uh, paralytic brains are basically laboratories for the technologies they believe will be enhancement technologies of the future to connect the brain to artificial intelligence. So uh, all of this, for the most part, I'm sure there are exceptions, uh, it has its origin in DARPA programs. DARPA, their, some of their first brain-computer interface programs began, I believe, in the late 60s. And certainly by the time you get to the 80s and 90s, they've funded tons and tons of labs, tons and tons of projects, in order to meld the brain with computer systems or as artificial intelligence has developed to meld the brain with artificial intelligence. They've turned a lot more towards this idea of a non-invasive brain computer interface or something that could be injected very easily, like um, Charles Lieber's uh, uh, prototype of the neural lace, which would form what he called cyborg tissue, uh, and allow the brain to uh, operate computer systems and vice versa. Um, but uh, you still have this goal, this dream. I, I remember there was one DARPA doc document in particular. I, there's so many programs, uh, you'll have to forgive me for forgetting which, what the project was specifically, but the, the, the declared goal was to open up that bandwidth between the brain and the computer system, something that Elon Musk has said many, many times. 
And the goal is because, you know, so much of military technology relies on computing, relies on mechanism and, and more and more so relies on semi-autonomous vehicles. How can you tighter get a, a tighter coupling between the human operators and the machines? This shows up again and again and again in these military white papers and other documents that uh, you know push for the kind of man-machine merger or transhumanist aspects. So you've got the brain-computer interface, and then you've also got the um, the the idea of genetic enhancement. So Renee Wegerson, the uh, now director of ARPA H, the Advanced Research Project Agency for Health. Um, Wegerson comes out of DARPA, spent four years as a DARPA director, I believe, working on everything from uh, mosquitoes that have now, now you, you're starting to see a lot of that work come into the public light. Uh, mosquitoes that would kill off other mosquitoes, kind of a time, genetic time bomb mosquitoes that would mate and, and, and produce unviable offspring or no offspring at all. She also, though, uh, worked on uh, biosurveillance. That was a, a huge project. And she ended up going to uh, Ginkgo Bioworks after that, which had a, a real uh, a central role in both the uh, COVID testing uh, from a genetic standpoint to be able to sequence the genotypes, but also the uh, the production itself of the uh, mRNA vaccine. I believe they partnered with Moderna uh, to uh, to produce the mRNA itself. And while Wegerson, uh, there's only been a few occasions that I've seen her speak in which she touches on the transhuman. When she has, it's very, very jarring. So there was a talk that she gave in 2017 to the Long Now Foundation, which, like many of these organizations, is basically transhumanist in orientation without using the term. And she was talking about uh, genetic enhancements, you know, this uh, a goal of all these different organizations from Altos Labs to Calico Labs to the Methuselah Foundation, all these immortality uh, uh, companies and research startups. And she's talking about the two types of enhancement, uh, defensive enhancement and offensive enhancement. Defensive enhancement would be things like to, uh, uh, to, to vaccinate, right? And that was the specific example that she gave that uh, once one has the, the vaccination, and this is kind of a concept among many of these people, vaccination is a form of biological augmentation. And it, it gives you lifelong lasting protection from a disease. I guess that's been redefined now, but that was the, the idea. And she talked about this as a conceptual precursor to more aggressive enhancements, the offensive enhancements for greater athletic performance, for greater intelligence, uh, for longevity. And so whether you're talking about artificial intelligence as a way of exerting power and control or whether you're talking about uh, genetic engineering to augment someone to make them stronger, more intelligent, uh, to increase their endurance. All of these are sit at the core of the transhumanist movement, and all of them are the, the actual technologies themselves oftentimes have their origin in the military industrial complex, specifically through DARPA funding or even just the other DOD projects that are more in-house and not being uh, not being outsourced. So, yes, uh, it's it's pretty clear. I mean, I could go through example after example of all of these different sort of uh, human transformation projects. So th this idea of the global brain, uh, global digital brain comes up uh, throughout your book as well. I recently had on the podcast Swedish researcher uh, Jacob Nordengard. Who, who talks a lot about this, how the UN is, uh, they have the goal of creating this digital global 
brain and you you write uh, yes. this guy Luckett singles out social media as a phase transition in our inevitable progress toward a global borderless community our separate societies must become more inclusive so we can finally merge into a single planetary superorganism. The global brain is to be our final big uh, god. So what, what do you make of this? Because it, it's everything you're talking about. I mean, it looks like the Matrix or that video game Bioshock or you know all of this crazy sci-fi dystopian uh, entertainment literature and movie and, and video games. So, so what do you think uh, is their uh, goal here? Um, real quick on that, the Global Brain Project, I think, is, if I have that correct, that's one of the very few open kind of public uh, programs to create artificial general intelligence. They have the, the dream of creating an AGI based on the brain. Um, anyway, that's just a, a side note, but I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Anyone who is openly trying to create artificial general intelligence it's pretty much de facto trying to create a god on earth, right? A superhuman mind, a digital mind. It's something to be very much aware of because it is ultimately a religious orientation. If you believe in God, then you're you're trying to create a little god. And if you don't believe in God, you're trying to create the god. Uh, but, uh, you know, so that guy, Oliver Luckett, former Disney executive, uh, Gay man, uh, he in fact the uh, he really tries to rub it in your face. You get to the opening of his book, The Social Organism, and he talks about how he and his partner oftentimes go to uh, a, a detox camp uh, once a month, and they call it colon camp. Um, they're, they're the, he's that, that kind of guy. He just wants you to know. So uh, in his book, The Social Organism, which I, I think takes it, it must take its title from Herbert Spencer's essay, The Social Organism. Uh, in his book, The Social Organism, he argues that Black Lives Matter uh, as a meme, as a, as a mimetic entity uh, running through the global brain, uh, that Black Lives Matter is HIV uh, for uh, antiquated, racist, uh, more uh, uh, xenophobic cultures, basically Trump supporters, and that uh, it functions as HIV. It, it destroys the immune system of these uh, antiquated, outdated, racist, sexist, and homophobic uh, uh, social structures. And that once it, uh, once the organism has finally lost its immune system, it will succumb to some other malady, be it pneumonia or cancer or what have you. What I find really, so th that section is entitled, How Big Gods Got Paused. And it, it comes also from the scholar Aaron Noren Zion, who argues that uh, the government has come to slide very neatly into the cognitive modules responsible for religious culture, and that technology, and in fact surveillance, uh, has created, in essence, the, these, these big gods, these secular big gods. And uh, so this guy, Oliver Luckett, and his notion of BLM HIV, it's it's uncanny because around the time he was writing, and I suspect he probably was unaware of it, you had the alt right, uh, and you had the 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 term the pause that had to be the most profound thing to come out of the entire movement. There was cuck, cuck was very. Anytime you hear cuck, you know it came out of the alt right. Or there's the frog, there's Pepe, uh, you know all that has had staying power. But the most profound concept to come out of the alt right, in my opinion. Uh, was the pause, this notion that liberalism 
leftism represents a weakening of the cultural immune system. And so whenever a nation or even, uh, you know, an ethnic group has become weakened by liberal ideas, it, it opens their borders to everything from mass immigration to trans children to, um, you know, uh, women who, uh, you know, slut around until their uh, 40s and then cry into their wine and make the rest of us miserable, uh, those sorts of things. And um, so th this notion of the pause uh, Luckett basically recreated it, but from a, a yes, you're being paused, but that's a good thing. Uh, quite, quite fascinating. And, I, and you know, and here's the, the the thing: I agree with them. I think that that's exactly right. I think that uh, to the extent that ethnic groups can, you know, by analogy, be seen as a singular body, that uh, these the, the 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 sorts of border crushing ideas in which the, the borders between men and women, the borders between nation and nation, the borders between religion and religion, and more and more so the borders between man and machine, uh, as those borders crumble, it does function in essence like, by analogy, like HIV, weakening the body and opening uh, the, the group up to, uh, to, to its own destruction. Yeah, by the way, Big, Big God, that's another Monster Magnet uh, a song, I think, uh, a, a B-side. And then since you mentioned trans kids, you know, you go at length as well in the book to talk about this. Uh, you mentioned biomedical uh, eugenics and, you know, this whole trans LGBTQ plus to infinity, as I call it, phenomenon. Um, you, you talk about gay rights, uh, a stepping stone to civil rights for cyborgs. I've heard that discussed before, trans ideology being a slippery slope toward technological oblivion i've had mary harrington on the podcast uh, she had a great book as well talking about cyborg theocracy which you mentioned in the book she also talks about she calls it bio i think biolibertarianism and meet lego gnosticism or, or, or something mm -hmm. like that and, and so so what, what what's uh because I, I do see this whole trans ideology related to the whole transhumanist project uh what do you make of it I think it's a, an expression of the water that we are swimming in. So all of these different technologies are not just have not just been developed in um, clandestine research labs. Uh, these technologies are widely available. So I, I try to go to great pains to to show. I mean, you have Martin Rothblatt and people like that, even Ray Kurzweil, of course Zoltan Istvan, making the point that gay rights and then trans rights and then cyborg rights and all that and even ai rights uh, literally the idea that ais can and should have civil rights which is not going away by the way it is going to be a thing may not get any traction it's going to be a thing but so that connection between transgenderism and transhumanism that's obvious just the generic uh, framework of humans using their technique and ingenuity ingenuity to transform the human body according to their will. Uh, that is, is clear like in, in regard to transhumanism, also in transgenderism. But I, I try to go to pains to 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 frame it in a way that it's not that transgenderism is just transhumanism. It's more that it's just this is the, the environment that we find ourselves in. That's one way to direct these technologies because transgenderism is by and large the, the, the techniques used to create these um, oftentimes unfortunate uh, surgical situations. Um, uh, they, they have their counterparts in gender normative surgeries, plastic surgery. Uh, also, the hormone treatments have their counterparts in gender normative hormone treatments, dudes getting juiced on, on testosterone or women taking estrogen and progesterone and other 
cocktails in order to preserve their gender normative biological states into later age, or if they for some reason had a problem uh, to to give them to begin with. So, and then you you also have like this notion that okay, transgenderism is this this eugenic or, or kind of in a sense like this little mini genocide of weirdos. Right. So that like weirdos end up getting taken out of the gene pool because before they're ever able to really uh, reconcile them, their weirdness to society, you've got these 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 vultures, these biomedical vultures swooping in and, you know, having them take all these weird uh, puberty blockers and, and, and hack off their junk and all of that. And it is a mini genocide of misfits. I think it's a uh, pretty, pretty horrific. But you also have the other side of the transhumanist movement. I would say this is much more prominent within transhumanism, and it's certainly much more prominent out in the wider society. The uh, selection of embryos, for instance, in order to gain to get the supreme embryo—that's Stephen Hsu's um, uh, project at Genomic Prediction. There are other companies that provide it. Genomic Prediction just gives you the most extreme or the most uh, detailed scorecard for your embryos. Uh, that's very heteronormative. Yes, gay men and gay women use it, uh, but it's it's profoundly it's eugenic as all hell. But it is, uh, in a sense, pro-human, right? You're just trying to create the the best biological human you can, and you're trying to continue the bloodline. You're just trying to do it in the in its supreme form. So, uh, in essence, uh, yeah, transgenderism and trans children and all that—that's a canary in the coal mine for the radical uses of these technologies. But it would be very hypocritical to get too asked up about a transgender child if, uh, you know, you and your wife have had a bunch of work done uh, or if you and your wife are, are using uh, high tech eugenic methods to select the, the best genotype or even in the, in the probably the very near future uh, to use CRISPR or other techniques to actually inject new genes into your bloodline. Uh, that's one of the reasons when I say transhumanism is Satanism with a brain chip. The three ways I mean that is that Satan, the, 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 the transhumanism is based on the raw power of science and technology, that Satan is oftentimes invoked to, uh, to represent that raw power and technology. And in the sense that, and this was something that Anton LaVey and Aleister Crowley and people like that harped on all the time, the hypocrisy of those who would accuse transhumanists of being evil when they themselves employ uh, transhuman light technologies all the time. Uh, and I think that's a real trap that's easy to fall into, especially for conservatives. To, it, it's sort of like the Democrat who points it at, at white conservatives and say, you're racist, but then it turns a blind eye to the sorts of ethnic resentments that they themselves have within their own camp. That hypocrisy is a real trap, and I, I hope to avoid it myself, and I, I hope to steer people away from that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I do want to get your thoughts on the whole social credit system thing, which I think is part of, uh, you know, where we're headed. Uh, you mentioned things in your book, like, quote, cute authoritarianism with happy faced robots and infantilizing cartoons in, in a way sort of to describe the system. People in the, in the past have called it friendly fascism, totalitarian democracy, democracy. And so it's like we see this illusion, uh, th th this veneer in the West of of freedom and democracy when underneath it's a totalitarian system that just day by day growing um i guess in in ways more overt and uh you, you use the term in the book which i like uh el elgocracy uh i think you say we're being prepared for elgocracy or rule by 
algorithm. I, I first used that term at least as far as far back as 2020 March when I was on Spiro Skouras' program after reading a paper by uh, Phil Torres, who I've interviewed in the past, who's I think associated with Long Now Foundation, and he was citing Nick Bostrom, who basically he's saying he's proposing, he's literally saying we need a world government algocracy, a totalitarian surveillance state and you know that was my thesis in march 2020 that the purpose of covid 1984 was precisely uh this and so do you have any thoughts on you know what the the future when it comes to this whole cashless uh system social credit uh system you talk about techno pessimists which i i I feel uh i am and you know i was flying to dc recently and i got on a united flight i sit on the flight and you hear the announcement it's like so to buy food and water, you can't use cash anymore. You have to download the app beforehand, which I didn't do, or use PayPal. And the government banned me from PayPal, so I can't buy food and water. Great. And so, yeah, so your your further thoughts as we go into this sort of dark eon, what life might look like? You know, how, how dystopian do you think it's going to get, and what life might look like for uh, dissidents? Uh, first things first, uh, cute authoritarianism. That is a, a, a phrase coined by Ewan Morrison, the novelist Ewan Morrison, which is uh, it, it, so classic, so so well put. Um, yes, uh, friendly fascism, cute authoritarianism. That is the era that we live in. It, it doesn't have the, the, the hard right angles of a, a real fascist movement. It's more uh, ways of controlling people by way of the pause. Um, you know, the notion of oh, and by the way too i also should should give credit where credit's due uh, algocracy uh, it, it was I, I maybe hadn't read it in super intelligence or somewhere else from boston maybe not but it was during our interview uh some year a year and a half yeah. back uh you mentioned algocracy and uh that was when it really stuck in my head so credit where credit's due uh you you handed that that great term to me which uh, is both uh, highly descriptive and completely nightmarish. So, two things. First, the digital currency and the social credit system, the nascent social credit system in the West. Um, the, this is where things are going. Whether whether it's to- totalized or not, that's an open question. People have been talking about it for a long, long time, and we still can use cash. So hopefully that that desire to at least have anonymized transactions and to have control over physical currency, uh, hopefully that will continue to the extent that some places are not completely locked in by a digital system, whether it be just the normalization of the digital currency that we see already right now in what you're talking about with this this introduction of uh, a totally cashless businesses, um, I, I you know. That's going to keep going forward, uh, and, and also the, the idea of the, the 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 CBDCs, right? The central bank digital currencies, in which you have like a specific currency, uh, not unlike a dollar bill, that is purely digital, blockchain based, and um, if certain powers have their way of it, will be the norm and perhaps an inescapable norm. Once that, if you end up in a place where that is the overriding norm or just the only norm. Obviously, you have been screwed out of every possibility of freedom. That's it. You're not going anywhere without permission. You're not doing anything without permission. You sure as hell ain't buying anything without permission. The same thing with universal digital IDs. Um, If you end up with some ID 2020 scheme or any of the others, uh, then that's it. 
you may still have a lot of freedom, but it's only because your government is, is allowing that freedom or allowing that illusion of freedom. So we're talking about a real nightmare scenario. And it's one that I think is, if not imminent, certainly a, a dangerous possibility. Uh, that, though, uh, you know, in regards to transhumanism, this is why the term transhumanism is so slippery and so loose. Um, transhumanists talk a lot about blockchain and things like that. But by and large, transhumanists are talking about things in terms of freedom, uh, their own freedom uh, and, and, you know, implicitly other people's freedom. What transhumanists, by and large, there are so many exceptions. It is very heterodox. There are many, many views scrambling and fighting to become the dominant view. But the overriding ethos is one of morphological freedom, that uh, that one has the right to do what they will with their body, and that one, you know, on uh, uh, the, the higher level, one has the right to create, uh, to build any digital system they want. Hence, the people in the effective accelerationist movement who are driving towards what they believe is the singularity and AGI, they see it as their freedom to create this totalizing technology. Well, on the what that ignores, obviously, is the shadow side of that. So if you end up with anything like Ray Kurzweil's idea of the singularity or Ben Gertzel's idea of the singularity or the effective accelerationist version of the singularity, it is either mostly or entirely totalizing. You're talking about a system that is either actually powerful enough to control most or everything in a society or to sweep legacy humans out of the way uh, or it is or maybe even worse man and this is really probably my biggest concern you end up in a society in which they have created extremely powerful machines that really aren't exactly as good as they said and so now you end up in an algocracy a rule by algorithm where the algorithm oftentimes sucks but in the same way you get on the plane you're like yeah i want some peanuts and they're like well you can't have it without your cash and you're like but you have, I mean, can't you just, can I just get the bag of peanuts and just get, you know, can, can you just give me one? Oh, well, the algorithm says that I can't, um, you know, if you end up in idiocracy run by algorithms, that's maybe even worse. Uh, at least you would be able to respect, uh, an artificial intelligence God and all of the, 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 that, that God's acolytes as they took over your society. But, uh, what I see happening, you see it with the ridiculousness of the COVID masking, the obstinacy of those who just refuse to admit the vaccine was a wash. Um, we we may be moving more towards uh, some blend of algocracy and idiocracy. Uh, so, but the, the the two points: digital currency is a nightmare. It, you, that is the the direct door to social credit systems or some other version of it, and it's definitely being pushed. And I, and I fear that we're going to have to make some really hard choices and sacrifice a lot of things. Uh, in order to maintain economic freedom and just freedom of movement in general going forward, at least in places like America, maybe not Mexico uh, and maybe not, say, uh, you know, other uh, wilder countries, but certainly in America and in Europe, uh, as it is in China. But they, I don't think that you can necessarily lay blame for that on the transhumanists, uh, at least not most of them. Some some are more totalitarian than others in their thinking. Um, but what, what I see, the, the, the fault, the transhumanists, I see transhumanists, uh, if, if you consider the uh, cyborg theocracy, uh, as Mary Harrington put it, as it was coined by Artie and Tola of Canonic XYZ, um, the cyborg theocracy, that is Google, that is Silicon Valley, that, that is Seattle, that is Microsoft. And then ultimately that encompasses DARPA, that encompasses the military industrial complex 
and their fetishization of technology. Uh, but that cyborg theocracy is the big church. That's the Orthodox church or semi-Orthodox church. Uh, in the shadows of that and preceding that are what would be kind of the, the, the diabolical or infernal uh, correspondence to the desert fathers. Those are the transhumanists. These are, these are the, this is the intellectual core generating these ideas. Sometimes from a, the perspective of a, a hands-on technician, Ben Gertzel, for instance, you know, nobody is going to deny that he's a great programmer, but uh, oftentimes just purely intellectual. They are simply dreaming up the visions. What would it be like in a world in which, uh, you know, the, these, these primitive ape men that are human beings are superseded by a digital god. And the the cyborg theocracy, the, the corporate and military and governmental structures that sit over that, they're infused by those ideas in the same way that the Orthodox Church is infused by the Desert Fathers. You may not know who St. Anthony is in medieval uh, Catholic Europe, but you damn sure know that the church will come and take care of you if you raise any problems. So uh, that's, that's how I see them. It, it's it's not that they're without blame because the techno-fetishism, they are techno-fetishism in its purest form. And those ideas do pervade the, the larger structures. But the real problems that we face are more those, those large-scale technocratic social structures that they want to impose on us. And um, yeah, so that's a long way of saying that uh, transhumanism is indeed Satanism with a brain chip and uh, cyborg theocracy is the, the Orthodox Church. Yeah, you know, you you gotta boil things down for the Twitter, right? For for like one one cent, well, X now. But um, you you write in your book as well that your personal favorite is reversion, where technological progress towards superintelligence is prevented by reverting to a pre-technological society in the style of the Amish. No one ever accused me of being excited about the future. Um, I I'm actually. It, it, very excited about trying to go back to to the Amish lifestyle. You know, I've got dreams here in Mexico of buying some rural piece of land. Um, I, I know different communities and just forgetting all about all of this digital space and going analog. So in the face of everything we've sort of um, touched on, your thoughts on the way forward, uh, you know, what do we do and, and, and so forth? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm no leader of any mass movement, so I, I have no offering, uh, no prescriptions for the masses. Uh, I, I, I'm not even 100% sure that I will succeed in my own independent individualist uh, aims, but I'm damn sure willing to give it a try. I, I think about like, look at your life, look at the way in which much of your life, your adult life was spent free, moving from place to place. Uh, I would, you know, at least your, your descriptions of living in yurts in Africa, uh, obviously like a lot of that entailed very low tech, very off the grid, um, very back to nature ways of life and, and experiencing a world, whether it be Africa or the stands or Eastern Europe, uh, experiencing a world that has, that up until now has remained untouched by the cyborg theocracy. Um, I, I, those spaces are shrinking as time goes on. You know, if you went back to that same yurt, they probably all have uh, smartphones and maybe even VR helmets at this point, uh, right next to the cattle. But um, I think that going forward, I, I don't see so that that notion of reversion that comes out of Max Tegmark, um, Life 3.0. He lays out uh, uh, all these different possible futures. Uh, some of them involve artificial intelligence becoming a benevolent god. Some involve artificial intelligence enslaving us all. One of them is reversion, going back to a pre-technological state. I think that 
the most that you can afford to say no, uh, you should say no. Uh, and that maybe you like all this stuff. Then obviously that that recommendation is not for you. But we are being sold on this idea of inevitability, and we're being sold on this idea of progress as we're being handed surveillance devices, as we're being uh, as they are imposing uh, digital control networks from currency to identification to the surveillance, the mass surveillance out in public. Um, we are being sold on the idea of progress, even as we're being gradually enslaved, certainly corralled. And so the, the more you can afford to reject it, the better off you are. And insofar as institutions are concerned, if, if for instance, you are an educator or you are even an administrator in uh, an educational institution, I would be very, very skeptical of these notions of progress as people are pushing uh, one-on-one AI tutors or, or, or e-learning or digital grading systems or the digitization of the entire process. I mean, yeah, if you're in a computer programming department, that's one thing. But if you're a history professor or even uh, a biologist, I think that the, the more you digitize the educational environment, the more separated the students become from the material. Maybe that's purely aesthetic. Uh, if that's the case, I don't care. That is that is how uh, I, I, I sense this this progression is is much more. It's not a reversion. It's it's worse than a reversion. It's a per, it's a perversion of what was uh, beginning to be a great civilization up until around the fifties or sixties. So um, yeah, I, I don't have a, a, a one size fits all recommendation, but I really do believe that as humanity, as different societies, subcultures, and even whole civilizations begin to branch off according to, to, to the degree to which they have incorporated these technologies, that they've embraced these technologies, and, and especially the civilizations or the subcultures who have given up their orientation to God, to the transcendent spirit beyond this material realm, and have given over that, that devotion to material powers, be it human power or as the technologies accelerate and advance technological power. Though th- as these societies split off, we will see ultimately which was progress and which was a perversion. Uh, I have full belief that those who uh, are at least very uh, careful about what they incorporate and perhaps even reject the most uh, obvious the most popular technologies. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that the maintenance of the deep spiritual orientation towards that which is beyond this world, God, or whatever form, whatever word one's culture uses for it, um, that, and, and, and those who have maintained the hard-won techniques that have been passed down from generation to generation, from time immemorial, that we will, in fact, uh, endure in the face of this bizarre uh, sort of Walmart on acid that we we see growing up around us, and um, that's that's a very much a deep religious conviction. I, I don't expect you to believe me or follow me out into the wilderness, but uh, I'll tell you what: if you get that commune set up in in Mexico, I'll come down. I'll help you plant. I'll help you harvest. I'll even uh, I'll even uh, you know lug bags of uh, soil around for you. Hey, I've got a couple of options. There, people have told me they've already got places. They said, "Come on down. You don't even have to buy in. Uh, just you, you gotta, you know, you gotta help out." And so, and I think what you just laid out is a key solution, key precept that I myself uh, recommend and am uh, working on. You know, I've got a de-googled phone. I 
try not to take the phone with me often. Um, but again, it's getting harder and harder because you got, for example, banks now, uh, they to, to access your account, you have to turn on geolocation, you have to use their app, it doesn't work on my Google phone. And more and more, you know, the walls are closing in, it's getting, you know, I had one bank card recently, I go to the ATM and the bank uh, blocked it, they're forcing me to go to the bank now. And I think the real reason is, uh, they sent me an email, they want to, uh, my, for me to update my info, and I'm like, everything's up to date, but I think they want me to add some biometrics, you know, so to, con- to continue to have access, I've got to give them more and more data. So it's becoming much more uh, difficult. And so, as you said, uh, we have to be really wise with our decisions. Um, again, the, the book is fantastic. Highly recommended. Uh, link is in the description. Your your Twitter link is in the description. Um, you're on Steve Bannon's War Room. Uh, you know, any other projects you recommend or, or, or websites we should know about? Uh, no, I, I do hope that your listeners, uh, I, I have a, a feeling that your listeners are of the intellectual caliber that they will not un- only understand the book, uh, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Um, I'm sure they'll find plenty of problems with it. I would, I would love to hear it if they do. Uh, you know, you're only only one man typing away out in the wilderness. It's, it's difficult. But um, yeah, I, you know, if, if, you, if you're interested in any of my uh, brief pieces, uh, JoeBot.xyz, of course, uh, Steve Bannon's War Room. And um, yeah, you know, Avori, I think that uh, all of this convenience is turning out to be a real pain in the ass. I wish you the best uh, getting out there back into the wilderness again, because I, I agree with you 100%. The walls are closing in. It seems innocuous to so many people. Man, this is, it, it is, uh, whether mythically and symbolically or uh, quite literally, this is the B system, and um, I, I'm not trying to take the mark. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.